Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil because of the Son of Man. It's Luke chapter 6, verse 22. What this means is that if you're truly living like Jesus, if people look at your life and they see the life of Jesus, if you're truly living like Jesus and you're hated because of it, Jesus calls you blessed. Blessed. Now what the text doesn't say, what it doesn't say is that blessed are you when people hate you and they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil because you are being evil. <laughs> because you're being cruel, insensitive, mean, not being like Jesus. It doesn't say that. The text doesn't say blessed are you because you're being evil. Jesus doesn't bless being hated on account of being evil. Now, I say this because sometimes Christians are persecuted, we're hated, we're mistreated, and we say it's because of Jesus, when in fact it's because we are not being like Jesus at all. That happens. Sometimes, though, Christians are hated not because we're being evil, and not necessarily because of Jesus, but for a third reason, and that is misinformation. In Acts chapter 21, verses 17 through 39, the Apostle Paul is hated, reviled, excluded. His name is spurned as evil, not because He's living like Jesus, and they see it, and they don't like it, not because Paul is being cruel, but because misinformation is swirling around about him. In this 23-verse passage, on three separate occasions, Paul is misunderstood in three different ways by three different people or groups. In the end, then, Paul is bound, he's seized, he's arrested, because of misinformation about him. I think to be a Christian, friends, is often to be misunderstood. And is sometimes, sometimes to be hated as a result. The Apostle Paul here is hated, like I said, primarily because of misinformation. As the story goes on and Chapter 22, things will change, but that is the case here. So my purpose in this morning's message is uh, not to reinforce bad ways of being Christian or to help you endure hatred on account of being evil. That's not what I'm here to do, okay? What I'm here to do, rather, is to encourage you, if you're a Christian and you're being hated, specifically as a result of misinformation. If, if people think certain things about you or about Christians in general and you're being mistreated because of it, this message is meant to encourage you. And not only that, but actually to help you move forward, to help you make sense of that experience and do something productive about it. That's kind of my aim in this morning's message. Pretty specific. So to set up the context a little bit, last week I preached, um, so there's really no gap, and 
If you recall, I preached on Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders, which he delivered from Miletus. Uh, That message was called Ready to Leave, and Paul did just that. He left. And if you recall, he was trying to get to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, and so that's why he didn't go to Ephesus. He knew he would be detained or distracted there because he was that tight with the Christians in Ephesus. He, He sent for the elders to come to him so he could make it to Jerusalem on time. Uh, and so Luke is the author of Acts. Luke is with Paul at this point. And so everything you read in Acts is in the first person. We went to Kos. We went to Paphos. We went to Caesarea. Luke is with him. And so there's all these details, but Paul is ultimately journeying to Jerusalem. Now, if you read the beginning of Acts 21, a lot of people tell him not to go to Jerusalem under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They say, don't go, Paul. But if you know anything about Paul, he's pretty uh, headstrong, and so he goes to Jerusalem for, I think, his fifth visit since his conversion. And so in chapter 21, uh, we learn about what happens to Paul in Jerusalem, and chapter 22 will continue that narrative. Uh, So we're all on the same page. Let's please turn to Acts 21 Uh, starting at verse 17. This can be found on page 930 of the Pew Bible. That is Acts 21, verse 17. Now, it's a pretty long passage, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. Really, there are three sections in particular that I want to focus on. Um, And so in just a moment, I'm going to kind of read those sections, but summarize the gaps. And I'm going to do that in the ESV. So if you're using a Pew Bible, you can follow along. Uh, But before we dive into the passage proper, let's take a moment to pray. Would you now pray with me? Lord God, we thank you so much for freedom, for safety, for the ability this morning to study your word together. Lord, we can't help but think of families in Uvalde, Texas, and many other places in the world, Ukraine, and places we probably don't even know about where such an opportunity is not present. Help us, Lord, to capitalize on the life that you've given us, the breath, the beatings of our hearts, to glorify you with it, to make the most of it, and to be Jesus to this world. Please be with us this morning. I pray that you'd give us focus and that you'd soften our hearts so that you could speak. We love you and praise you now. In Jesus' name, amen. So, verse 17 kind of gets us into this general passage. Um, Paul arrives at Jerusalem with Luke and some of his other associates and meets with James, the brother of Jesus, who's actually the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And it seems like there were elders there, and so James and the elders meet up with Paul, and Paul has a chance to share about his ministry to the Gentiles and throughout the Mediterranean, Uh, and James and the elders rejoice and celebrate Paul's ministry success. But they want to say something to Paul. Um, They want to make him aware of something before he moves further into Jerusalem. And so they speak to him starting at verse 20. It's actually the second half of verse 20. They say, You see, brother, 
How many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed? They are all zealous for the law. And they've been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They'll certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. So after this, Paul does it. He doesn't say a word yet. He actually obeys their command, their plan, and he gets purified and and publicly displays his allegiance or fidelity to the Torah. But then, just before he officially completes the period of purification, we read this in verse 27. It says, When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him, Paul, in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. After this, we read of Romans, the tribune and the centurions and the soldiers who were stationed nearby in case there was a disturbance, and they they come to the scene, and they actually have to enter the outer courts of the temple to respond to what had happened. And so Paul is arrested, he's bound, he's seized, And then the Romans ask who he is, and he's led toward the barracks where he would have a conversation with the Roman tribune. This is our last section. Verse 37, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are, Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg of you, permit me to speak to the people. And miraculously, he permits Paul to do so. And so he motions to the people and begins to address them, not in Greek, but in Hebrew, the language of the Jews. We'll learn more about that later when Mike preaches from chapter 22. So you may have noticed that I read three sections in this long passage. Now, in this passage, I think we can identify three incidents of misinformation. Okay? First, we see rumors. That was the first section I read. Rumors about what Paul is teaching in these Gentile regions to the the Jews in the diaspora. Rumors. Second, rumors 
in their teenage years become assumptions. That's the second section. Based on this information they had heard about Paul, these Jews from Asia assume certain things of Paul. Rumors, assumptions. Lastly, fully grown misinformation results in misconceptions. This Roman tribune falsely identifies Paul, arrests him before he even knows who he is, and he thinks he's basically the Osama bin Laden of first century Palestine, leader of an organized, systematic terrorist organization. Paul! Meek and mild Paul. Rumors, assumptions, misconceptions. That's what we're going to focus on in this passage. So let's just dive in then with the section in which we see rumors arise. Rumors. Starting at verse 20, we get this little speech from James and the elders in Jerusalem. Now, what they say is that there are many myriads of Jews, just tons of Jews in the city, who have believed. So James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and there are Jewish Christians who live in Jerusalem full-time who have believed. James is not talking about Jews who had come to the city for Pentecost from away. These are local Palestinian Jews. And he says these Jewish Christians are Christians, but they are zealous for the law. They have not abandoned their Jewish roots, these Jerusalem Jews, okay? But they have been taught or informed They've heard a few things about you, Paul. Now, I'm going to try to just translate from the Greek so you know exactly the emphasis of the text, right? It says, they've been told about you that apostasy is what you teach. Apostasy from Moses to all the Jews who live in the Gentile regions, teaching them not to circumcise their children nor to walk in our customs. Apostasy. The word in Greek is apostosion, apostasy. Defection, abandonment, forsaking their Jewish identity. That is what they think Paul is teaching. Rumors. Rumors. Before we get any further, let me just ask, is this true? Does Paul, in fact, teach Jewish Christians to abandon the law of Moses. From what we know of his letters and book of Acts so far, can you think of an instance in which Paul tells Jews who've become Christians to throw away everything they know about Judaism? In Acts, Paul has taken a Nazarite vow. He has circumcised Timothy. He takes pains to get to Jerusalem in time for this Jewish feast, Pentecost. Is that the kind of person who teaches abandonment from the law of Moses? Another piece of evidence here that we're dealing with rumors is the subject of they have been informed is not specified. They've been told about you. By whom? The fact that Luke uses this verb with an unknown subject, means that we're dealing in rumors here, okay? 
Well, ultimately, they, they have a plan, okay? They have a plan for Paul, and the plan ultimately is for him to publicly display his faithfulness to the Mosaic Law. Um, there's, there's a lot I could say about this. It's kind of confusing, but it seems like there are four men here who have taken a Nazarite vow, and you can read about that in Numbers, the book of Numbers chapter 6. And in the Nazarite vow, you, you would let your hair grow. You wouldn't cut your hair for a certain period of time. But during that period, you could be defiled by various things, and it could kind of interrupt your vow. And so what seems to have happened is these men took the Nazarite vow, but they became unclean. And Paul had been traveling in these pagan Gentile regions, so he too was unclean. So James and the elders are like, Paul, you got to get purified anyways. Can you get purified with these guys and actually pay for them to complete their vow? There would have been eight birds and like four lambs that would have been offered, so a considerable expense. Paul was going to pay for it. And this was all to demonstrate to the Jews in Jerusalem, that Paul had not abandoned the law of Moses. And they say that, you know, if you do this, the things that they've heard about you, verse 24, will be shown to be nothing, false, baseless. So that's what Paul does. He obeys the recommendation of James and the elders, and some might think he's selling out or something, but no, Paul agrees and publicly displays that, no, he has not forsaken Moses. So, rumors are swirling, Paul takes action. Let's move on then to the next section. Starting in verse 27, this is kind of in the middle of um, Paul's period of purification. Seven days would have to elapse for him to be totally purified. And it says in verse 27 that when the seven days were almost complete, the Jews from Asia, this is Jews from away, these are not the Palestinian Jews who make up the church in Jerusalem under James. These are different Jews who have traveled to Jerusalem. The Jews from Asia saw Paul in the temple. Hear that. He's in the temple trying to fulfill his purification ritual. They saw him in the temple and they laid hands on him before even making any kind of accusation. They laid hands on him and cried out, verse 28, men of Israel, help. (laughs) Help. That's what you say if there is a gunman, a terrorist, a violent figure. This is Paul. Who says to the Corinthians, you know, I I didn't come to you with powerful stature and with with words, with authority. I came to you with meekness. They say, help. Why? Well, second half of verse 28. They say, this is the man, speaking to the crowds who had gathered in Jerusalem, this is the man who against the people, against the law, and against this place, teaches everyone everywhere. That's the literal word order in the Greek. In other words, this is the man who stands against everything that Jews depend on. This is the man who is against us as a people, against our law, and against this place, the temple or Jerusalem. He's teaching everyone everywhere against 
these three pillars of Jewish identity. It seems like the rumors from before have swelled up and have grown. Now, verse 29, actually at the second half of verse 28, we get assumptions, okay? Assumptions. It says, not only does this man teach against the, the people, against the law in this place, he even brought a Greek into the temple and has thus defiled this holy place. Now, this is huge, okay? There have been discovered these stone slabs in the temple courts in Jerusalem. Archaeologists have found them with Greek and Latin inscriptions saying, if you are a non-Jew, you cannot go past this pillar. Do you know what the punishment would be if a non-Jew went beyond the court of the Gentiles to the inner courts? Death. Execution. Verse 29, it says that they had seen Trophimus, the Ephesian. These are Jews from Asia, probably around Ephesus. They know what an Ephesian looks like. They saw Trophimus, the Ephesian, with Paul in the city. Not in the temple. In the city. I've been to Jerusalem. It's a huge city. (laughs) Way bigger than Portland. It'd be like seeing me in Boston with a friend of mine and just assuming where, where, not the aquarium because people like to go there, but a place that's illegal to go. Seeing me in the city and assuming just because you saw me in the city that I brought this person to an illegal place, all right? Baseless claim. Baseless. And we'll see in the next few chapters that there is no evidence, there's no evidence at all that Paul actually brought Trophimus into the temple. Paul would have been dooming his friend to death. Likely, Paul would have been sentenced with something similar as an accomplice. So, based on this rumor that Paul is totally against Judaism, they see him in the city with an Ephesian and they just assume that he's committed a capital offense. So, Paul is seized. He's arrested, ultimately, by the Romans. This is so ironic to me, because in order to solve the problem of Paul defiling the temple, all of these Gentile Romans had to enter the temple to pull Paul out. They were stationed nearby in the event of a disturbance, and there was a disturbance. Paul is arrested. One quick note before we move on. Um, The tribune, when they arrive to seize Paul, he is uh, seized, arrested, and bound. And then the tribune asks who he is. Assumptions. Lastly, let's move on to verse 37. Paul has been evicted from the temple He's in Jerusalem to observe Pentecost, about to finish a purification ritual, and he's been accused of abandoning the law of Moses. And he's been taken by the Romans. Sounds a little bit like the story of Jesus. And he's brought toward the barracks, 
and he addresses the Roman tribune. This was a, a kiliarch is the word. So this person would have been in charge of a thousand soldiers. Ten times what a centurion would have been. So a powerful person. And he says to the Roman tribune, in verse 37, Is it lawful for me? Am I allowed? Am I permitted to speak to you? And chagrin on his face, confusion, surprise, he says, Wait, you know Greek? Verse 38, he goes on, the tribune says, Are you not the Egyptian? The guy who a few days ago caused the disturbance and led into the wilderness 4,000 men of the assassins? Are you not that guy? Rumors, assumptions, misconceptions. The Roman tribune thinks that he's got this ringleader of an organized terrorist organization. 4,000 men. The, the word in Greek is dagger men, assassins. It was an actually identified party. Josephus talks about this group that, that caused this uprising. They were trying to basically take control of the, the Roman Empire. <laughs> he thinks that in Paul, he has that guy. Paul. When rumors are allowed to grow, and they're not quelled, they're not dissolved, they can turn to assumptions which can result in tragic misconceptions. Luckily, Paul's allowed to speak, and he says, probably exasperated, jaded, at the end of his rope, he says in verse 39, I am a Jew. A Jew. His Jewishness has been called into question throughout the entirety of this chapter. So Paul leans into that identity. I'm a Jew. I'm not this ringleader of this group of assassins. I'm not against the law of Moses. I don't teach apostasy from Jewish customs. No. I'm a Jew from a not insignificant city, is what he says from Tarsus and Cilicia, please let me speak to my people. And somehow, miraculously, he's allowed to speak. And he addresses the people in their native tongue. And that brings us to the end of this text. So Paul is persecuted due to misinformation, manifesting as rumors assumptions, and misconceptions. Let me just ask you this morning, have you ever faced such a situation? Maybe not to the same degree as that of Paul, but have you ever been mistreated, excluded, reviled, persecuted in some way because of misinformation either about you or about Christians in general? What emotions tend to arise in such an experience? How do you feel? What can we do in such situations? 
Is there anything that can be done? Anything? Well, if you face public ridicule or mistreatment or persecution of some sort, that's truly because of misinformation. There are two things that I can say to you. First, this may not help, but hopefully it gets us there. First, be encouraged, okay? First, just be encouraged, knowing that you are in good company. (laughs) The Apostle Paul, of course, experienced this, but you could think of many other apostles as well, Stephen for one, but also think about Jesus. I think the material cause of his crucifixion was due to misinformation. They thought him to be a revolutionary, the king of the Jews. They thought that he was like this assassin's figure leading this uprising against the Roman Empire, claiming allegiance above that of the emperor. Misinformation about Jesus. If you're feeling persecuted because of misinformation, be encouraged. You're in divine company. So that's one. Also, though, don't just sit there and be encouraged, but I would encourage you to respond, okay? So Paul, he doesn't say a word throughout this entire passage until the end. Permit me to speak to the people. Let me set the record straight. Let me clarify, let me correct, let me speak about what Christians are really like. Now, uh, Paul can be kind of brash, uh, powerful at times. He can, he can be pretty forceful. I would encourage you to at least start with gentleness, with love, to, to gently and humbly clarify or correct misinformation that's been spread about you. To not start with aggression or defensiveness or antagonization. It may get, get there, but start with gentleness. But respond, okay? Clarify, correct. Don't just sit back. So be encouraged and respond. As we close, let me just say that if you are a Christian and if you're facing such hatred or mistreatment in general, just ask yourself the following questions. Ask, am I being persecuted because I am being cruel? Am I being persecuted because of misinformation? Or am I being persecuted truly, truly because of Jesus? If it's the first one, if if you're being mistreated because you're being evil, you need to ask God for help and healing. And He will help you. If you ask him humbly, he will. If you're being persecuted as a result of misinformation, I've just told you, hopefully, be encouraged and respond. But if you're facing mistreatment truly because of Jesus, because you're living like Jesus, they see it, they see exactly what Jesus is like, and they don't like it. If you're being persecuted for that reason, only one thing that I can say, and that's 
Count yourself blessed. Count yourself blessed. Let's pray. Lord God, we need you. In this world, we will face opposition, but you have overcome the world. You have come to save the world, to renew it, and you've begun that renewal project with us, Lord. Please encourage our hearts as we are mistreated, reviled as our name is spurned as evil. Even if it's misinformation, Lord, help us to be encouraged, to know that we're not alone, but to speak out and to clarify the gospel for others. Lord, help us to know that you, God, fully God, became fully one of us forever, irreversibly, in order to save us, to lead us into your presence for good. If there's any here this morning who have yet to connect with Jesus, that's, that's what we're about. Not a religion, it's about connection. May they be connected to you this morning, Lord. May we all be connected to you, realizing that that is the only thing that matters. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you would continue to be with us as we worship you today. Make us more like you in the process. In Jesus' name, amen.